great God, even now, during this time, God, have all of me, have all of my heart and all of my soul and all of my mind and all of my strength. And let this time be a time where I offer myself back to you as you have already offered yourself to me. God, as we have this time of worship together, Lord, I pray that you would clarify those things that might have already been in our mind, that you've already been speaking to us this week. God, would you rush in and clarify today? And God, for those of us that have been moving away from you, God, would you rush in and convict today? And for those of us that have not come to the realization that you are a real God and that we are created beings and that there was a son sent and died and rose again, would you bring the clarity of the gospel today? But more than anything else, God, we just rely fully on the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Even now, Spirit of God, would you just fall fresh on us and have us have a time where we're so clear and aware of your presence and your power that we will not rely on man's words, man's words. Men's words will get us nowhere, God. We must need God's word. And so, God, I pray that you would change us today. I pray you'd make us more like you today. And God, so fill me up, God. Control me, God. And we, 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 we stand here with a spirit of expectancy. We're not just waiting. A woman that is not pregnant waits, but a woman who is pregnant expects. We expect the Word, God. We expect the seed of the Word to come and, and to fall fresh on us, God. We want to hear from you. We ask all this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So good to be here with you all today. We're walking through this series, and we're walking through Song of Solomon, and it has been an encouragement to be here. One of the things that I always get kind of nervous about as we talk through things like dating and marriage is that sometimes we can make relationships out to be this carrot that you should be striving and hungry for. And the reality is, is that some of the things that we do with social advancement, we do with relational advancement. For instance, when you think about high school, you know the next thing is to go to college, and after college you get a master's degree, and then after the master's degree you get a PhD, and if you get all the way to the top of a PhD, then your market value increases, your worth increases. And there's a tendency in us to do the same thing with relationships, that as at one stage I'm single, and then I get married, and then I get kids, and then one day I'll have grandkids, and then some way my spiritual value increases. And so I don't want to do that to you all today. I, I, I want it to be clear today that a lot of what we're teaching is not meant for you to want this carrot that you go after. It is a season that God places you in. God must, the Bible says in Matthew 19, to whom God brings together, let no man tear asunder. Meaning that if someone gets married, it's because God put two people together. And God places people into seasons. And so that season is wherever God has you, he is changing you and molding you and making you. And whatever season of life you are in, the season of life you are in is working you to become more like Jesus. 
Romans 8.28 makes that so clear that all things work together for those who love God, called according to his purposes. And then it goes on to say, to be conformed to the image of the Son. That means that God, and if you say, well, what does that mean? It means that God is making you into a radically sacrificial, loving person. That's what God is doing in every season. Whether you are married or single, God in every season is causing you and challenging you and growing you to be a more loving person. And so I want to talk to you today about the season of dating and how it really prepares you for the next seasons of life. You know, if I could, I would love to have everybody over sometime for dinner and we could go through photo albums and I could show you my life. But since we can't do that, I could show you some pictures here. You know, there's my, my family. So for those of you that um, know my daughters, I have two daughters and uh, I have Faith and Leah and Leah is there on the left and she struggled with getting the, uh, the sign right. But the, um, you know, Leah and Faith, they are wonderful kids. You know, Faith is so fun and relational, and Leah is just strong and funny, you know, but they're sinners. And so because they're sinners, loving them is hard. And so because of that, my daughter Leah, as beautiful as she is, the reality is, is that she's also a very sensitive person. You know, I told her, I told her to go to bed, and she got mad at me, and she's still mad at me, and that was like two years ago. She's still mad. She's, she holds on to things. She gets frustrated. My other daughter, uh, Faith, Faith is the type of person where she is so relational and so connected, but if I don't like really focus on her when I'm home, she gets frustrated, and so she doesn't like it when, dad, when I tell her I got to leave and go someplace. She gets mad, and, and so my absence makes her uh, frustrated, and so she can be needy at times. And so I can't just love them in the natural I have to have supernatural strength to love my kids. But what I'm telling you is that loving my kids, I was prepared to love my kids by the way I love my wife. You see, the next picture you see is of my wife, and this is about seven years, praise God. <laughs> this is about seven years into marriage, and we hadn't had any kids yet. And so at this point, you know, we were just really just trying to figure things out, and we were learning each other and loving each other. And I remember our very first argument very first argument, I remember that night, man, we were um, it was early on in our marriage, and I remember my wife wanted me to go to bed with her at a certain time every night, which was cool till the Lakers were playing the Spurs. <laughs> and so the Lakers are playing the Spurs, and it was, this is early 2000s, and I remember, never forget, it was .5 seconds left. Now, what ended up happening is, like, Derek Fisher hit this big shot, it was amazing, but it hadn't happened yet. So my wife is coming downstairs, and she's like, we need to talk. And I was like, we can, but the game is on. And so she gets in front of the TV. So, but unknowingly, 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 she didn't know. But she got in front of the TV. And so I'm, I'm like, well, you know, I want, I, I want to talk about this, but the game. And she's like, you know, da-da. And so the ball gets inbounded. The game is going. And so I just... It was just a lean. It was just leaning. I just, it was about 90 degrees, just a little lean. And so the ball went up, and I'm trying to do two things at the same time. He hits the shot. I tried not to gyrate my body, but I did just a little bit. And she was like, are you watching the game? I was like, I'm not, I am, but I'm not. I'm listening. So we had it out, and I, am, I ended up leaving. I was so mad. I ended up leaving, and my boys were playing PlayStation, so I went over to their house till 2 in the morning. I come back, she's in bed like, you know, she's just like, 
I walk in, it's just ice cold in the room, you know, and so we had to go back to our counselors and talk that through, and so I had to figure that out. I had to learn how to communicate better and how to love, and my wife had to learn how to love me, and so we had to work all that out, but by God's grace, I had been prepared for marriage because I was in a church like this where we would get together, and we would be in our city groups, our home groups, and we would talk through these things, and I would look at different couples, and I would have the Word of God going into my life, and so I started to really get discipled in how to marry someone, and when we, when we dated, we were dating to marry. We weren't dating to date. We weren't just trying to hang out and feel good. When I got with my wife, I knew that this was going to be someone I was going to either marry or we would just be brothers and sisters in Christ, but we weren't going to play around. And so because we started with that kind of foundation, we were at least prepared with those seeds of understanding that there was going to be some real conflict. Well, hopefully some of you all are getting connected in our city groups, and prayerfully some of you all, if you're single, you are learning some of this stuff right now. But my fear is that some of you have never had these conversations. I talked last week about how I really, my parents never really had any real conversation with me. I told you hip-hop really raised my understanding of sexuality. That's all, I heard it all the time in music, but I never really heard it in my home. But to make matters worse, I really didn't want to be like my parents. And we did a survey at Long Island University the other day, and we found that we, we surveyed a bunch of students, and we asked them all one question, do you want to be like your parents' relationship? And none of them said yes. In fact, as I've done counseling over the years, I've asked people, who is the best relationship you've ever seen? Do you know what they always say? Cliff and Claire Huxtable. They say, that's the best relationship I've ever seen. And we, we all know, anyway, that's just another problem. <laughs> but, but the reality is that um, before I got the word of God in me about this area, I was like most people. Here's a picture of me back in the day, 20 years ago. Don't, don't ask me why my lips are puckered up like that. <laughs> so this is back in 1996 when I was Dominican. So, uh, <laughs> and uh, I was at a party. And, uh, you know, one of the things is that I, I knew, I knew, you know, get your taper right, get your clothes right. I knew how to get a woman attracted to me. And then I knew how to talk to a woman. I knew, I knew what things to say. I knew how to get her interested in me. I knew how to extend the conversation, you know, get interested in the things she's interested in and, 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 and just keep the, the game going. I knew all that stuff. But here I am with parents I don't want to be like, music that is influencing me only to have sex, and then, a, and then women that not only was I trying to attract, but I was trying to sleep with. This was, this was my lifestyle. But deep down inside, I wanted a lasting relationship. I wanted something real. And to be quite honest with you, I just didn't know how to do it. And I didn't have anybody talking about these things. So because, you know, we've done this last year, we did a series, and some of you all weren't here for that. And so because some of you have never heard dating in the context of the Scriptures, and because some of your parents never really talked to you in a way that was scriptural or maybe even helpful, for these next few minutes, I want to ask you to do something. Would you allow me, just for a little while, just to father you, just for a little bit? Just, just to allow me 
to speak into an area, but you're going to have to trust me. You're going to have to trust the Word of God. You're going to have to trust that God really has a way that He prepares you for every season of your life. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, we saw in the first chapter that this young lady came from a broken road. She had body image issues. She had issues with the way that she had been put out in the field, and she really never had the kind of beautiful life that we all want. If you look here in the scriptures, you never hear about her father. You hear about how her brothers put her out to work. So she doesn't have the kind of life that she thought she would have. But she meets this man. And when she meets this man, her dreams have come true. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, she says, See, the winter is past. The rain's over and gone. Flowers appear on the earth. The season of singing has come. The cooing of doves is heard in our land. What is the next season after winter? It's spring. And so the winter time is the time where it's cold. The winter time is the time where we don't want to be outside, but we love being out when it's spring, when we can hear the birds singing and we can see all the blossoming. That's what we love. But the winter time is when the trees, their roots grow deeper. Understand that in the winter is the time of preparation. When you are in a relationship, that is when the springtime may come. But for those of you that are single right now, your roots are growing deeper. It's your season of preparation. You're preparing to learn how to love a broken person. You're preparing to learn how to do those things. And so there's a part of us that wants to fast forward to the spring, just like we want to do in the natural. I, I, I hate the cold. I love it when it's warm. I don't know what's happening right now with the warmth and it's 60 degrees. I want to give a shout out to aerosol can spray, spray cans and the, you know, global warming. I think something's happening. I don't know what's happening, but it's warmer than it should be. But we always want to fast forward through the winter. But the reality is, God created seasons, and he created these seasons so that there can be a natural flow to the earth. Just like there are seasons in the natural, in the supernatural, God places you in the seasons. Your roots need to grow deeper for the person that God may have for you. Huh. Your roots got to grow deeper. Your roots got to grow deeper in forgiveness. I mean, there are people that want to have a conversation with you, and you still don't. I mean, I'm saying there are people that are nice to you, and you don't forgive them. you got to work that out. You need to get your roots growing deeper. I can understand the people that don't want to talk to you, but the people that you don't talk to and you still don't forgive them, your roots need to grow deeper. Your roots need to grow deeper in patience. You need to learn how to have the kind of supernatural patience that God has for us so that we don't get ticky-tacky and counting all the wrong things people do, but we're patient, slow to anger, slow to speak. Those are where your roots must grow deeper. You see, part of what we must do in our season of winter and our season of preparation is work on you. One of the greatest problems is that we begin to look for this ideal prototype human being that is just a step away from Jesus and Paul, this amazing person, but we don't think about what we need to be. 
And are you just looking for a person or are you trying to become a person? That's part of the problem is that we're looking for someone that can in some way take away some of the pains of the winter. But the reality is, is that we must start looking in the mirror and start working on those areas that we've heard about, <laughs> that we knew about, that we've always known, that we start working on those things. Um, <clears throat> years ago, a man once said that, let your critics be your coaches. When I heard that, I didn't quite understand it at first, and then someone told me, yeah, see, you have to let your critics become your coaches because the reality is that sometimes people who are most critical of you are willing to tell you the things that your friends won't tell you. So the critical people are actually giving you that raw data that you don't like, but you probably need to hear. And then there's other people who have just gotten used to it. Let your critics be your coaches. And so when I heard that, I became introspective. And I started trying to think back, not did what just the person say to me and how they packaged it, because sometimes I just stay on how someone packaged it, but I actually start thinking, could it be true? I mean, is there a chance that some of what they said is true? And do I have the courage to ask the people closest to me, is this true of me? One of the things that we did early on in ministry is we would ask a question. I think I've asked this before, that you would go to your friends and ask them this. If you knew that I wouldn't get angry, what's something that you would tell me about myself? Some people would be like, I've been waiting for this. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, my God. If you knew, if you knew I wouldn't get defensive, you knew that I wouldn't put up the dukes and I won't fight you on this, I'm going to give you the opportunity to speak in. Now, my wife always brings it up. She's like, can we do that if you knew? I'm like, no, we did that the first 10 years. I know. <laughs> well informed. Um, but I'm just saying, are you investigating you? Because you're in a season of preparation. And maybe your roots aren't deep enough for the person that God has for you. And so you want your roots to grow deep and real and strong. Don't fast forward through the season that God has you in now. Grow deeper. And so he goes on, and, and the reason why a season of preparation is so important is because we tend to have a season of infatuation. Look there in, in verse 9. <laughs> oh, man, L listen, to, listen to homegirl. She's, she's just in love. She's in love. You, you know, you've seen this or experienced it. Listen! My beloved, look, here he comes, leaping across the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice. My beloved spoke and said to me, arise, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. She said, look at this. Look, look, have you seen my man? He, he is a young stag. He is a gazelle. He is amazing. Love him so much. Do you, do you know, and notice what, he's, what she's saying is there is potentially a wall where she lives, and there's like this lattice, and it's something you can peer through almost like a fence. And so they're too far from one another to talk, so he's just gazing at her. It's too late at night for him to be over, but he's just standing outside looking at her. 
And you say, I don't understand. What's that like? Well, it's kind of like when me and my wife, you know, we used to talk at midnight, pick up the phone. What's up, girl? What's up? What you doing? Just what you, what you doing, though? You stupid. <laughs> stupid. Then, then an hour and a half goes by, and it's just like, I got to go to work. You got to go to work? I got to go to work. Stop. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Hang up, then. Shut up, you hang up. All right, I'm gonna hang up on three. One, two, three. You didn't hang up though. And you have this thing, it's intoxicating. Where you start living in a world of enchantment and factuation. And you start, you start highlighting their strengths, but minimizing their weaknesses. And you, I mean, I have seen women, women, I'm gonna just say women in general, but just, I've seen women be like, you know, this dude is just he's, just, he's just a spiritual juggernaut. And I meet him, I'm like, no, he's not. <laughs> or they'll just present, and that's okay. That's okay. But just don't present him. You shouldn't have presented him that way. <laughs> don't, don't front. Let's just let him just, he's growing. Okay, then you should have told me that. <laughs> there is a part of us that gets gets enchanted. And when we get so enchanted, the reason why is because our feelings are so strong. And there's a part of you, because you, listen, because you feel so strongly about this person, it's kind of like what they say in music, like our love is so, so strong, it's got to be real. Well, in a sense, yes, it's true. You feel strongly about them. And it's intoxicating. But we have to push through the intoxicating feelings of romance and start looking at them in reality and see them for who they are and talk through their weaknesses and talk through their struggles. Because you, if you are dating them or are going to marry them, they are a sinner and they have baggage. And they are bringing that baggage right into the relationship. And so are you. And so there's no need to create this feeling that this person can't have problems. And this, is, and this is why I need you to trust me. This is why I need you to trust me. For those of you that potentially could get married, this is why I need you to trust me. When I start seeing people come into my office or come into my house and I sit down and I start noticing some things, I always hear, you don't understand, we're different. And what I'm trying to tell you is you may feel different, but I've seen this before. I'm seeing some of the same tendencies before. So why not allow the community of God's people speak into your relationship rather than quarantine yourself from truth? Because that's part of what people do. They just, they just put a fence around the people that might tell them the truth because they want to keep the relationship going. And so they're hiding from the truth. It's, I went to Shake Shack yesterday. And man, you know, Shake Shack. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, the burgers and the shakes and the, but simultaneously, I want to lose weight. So I'm, you know, you eat, you eat, you just don't look at the calories. You just keep doing it. And you, you're just like, it tastes so good. It's so real. And you just kind of, you're hiding yourself from the truth and the consequences of what I'm doing. And in the same way we do that with food, we do that with relationships. We hide ourselves 
from the consequences, and we don't allow ourselves to have other people speak into our lives. And we run away from the truth because we've already fast-forwarded this person to become something they may not be. And so, so why, not, why not take it slow? Why not just take some time to limit how fast the relationship is going? Part of the challenge that it, in, in a dating relationship is not, getting, not building the cornerstone of your relationship on romance. I'm going to fast forward. Who's ever doing the slide? I'm going to fast forward to a point. Intimacy is not romance. Intimacy is transparency. Romance is, you know, it's, it's flowers and roses and date night, and it's, it's beautiful. Intimacy is different, though. Intimacy is when I let you into my world. And I don't, I don't, I'm not just putting my best foot forward. I'm showing you the weaker me. And I'm allowing you to see the real me. And maybe that person is not ready to see the real you. So you might want to limit certain times with them, certain things with them. I get so afraid when I see people and they're, they're just all over each other. They're just all over. They're in the mall. They're just all over each other. Because they're in love and you can't tell them nothing. And then there, there comes this point where I'm like, man, there's some, you know, we start talking and there's some key problems and they don't want to talk about it. And it's because they've become infatuated with romance and they're not willing to talk. See, see, one of the reasons why my wife and I, we have a great relationship. One of the reasons why is because we're both introspective human beings. We both take a look inside and say, you know, when I, when I got angry, the reason why is thus and such. And I let them in. I let my wife in to what's going on with me. And so in the dating phase, I, I really encourage couples to do three things. Limit three areas, talk, touch, and time. Now, I've said these things before. It's, it's somehow it also ends up being controversial. I don't know what's controversial about this. Work this out, work out your own salvation in this area. All I'm saying is talk, just limit the amount of depth that you have until you know. Again, I said last week, I said, Intimacy should not exceed commitment. So when you know that this person is committed to you, well, then let them in more. But you don't want to have this deep, deep, deep conversation, and you're not sure that they're, they're, they're committed to you. And the reason why that's so important is because most conversations in marriage aren't that deep. They aren't. I mean, you know, you know we, when it's all romantic, it's like, hey, boo, I love you. But in, in real life, I'm like calling, like, hey, babe, what's going on? It's like Leah peed in the bed. It's like, okay, change the sheets. You know, and we have that conversation. We have conversations about bills. That's our conversations. We have conversations about getting up in the morning. We have conversations about life. And so sometimes people want to be deep, but it's okay to be on the service for a little bit because that's real life. Limiting your touch, guarding a woman's heart. I'm going to talk more about that in a second. And then limiting your time. Again, and I talked about that, but rather than creating a relationship that's, that is codependent, why not bring people into community where you're always together and you have this exclusive relationship? Why not be in community together? Because what's crazy is that in community, you see the real person. Because I confront for you. 
You know, I could just, get, if you're funny, I can be funny. You're smart, I'm smart when we're alone. But I can see more of you in community. All right, so I just wanted to say that real quick. I want to look at this other verse. One of the things that is always a challenge is building healthy intimacy. Look in verse 14 of chapter 2. Verse 14, she says, Oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the crannies of the cliff, listen, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. It is the woman telling the guy, I want you to open up more. I want to talk more real. Like, you, you, we, we, we hang out, but we don't have a real conversation. And I want there to be a little bit of depth more than what we have. And this is something I had to learn in marriage, and it was such a struggle. Now, again, I'm saying build some transparency. Just have limits to it. But she's saying, yeah, I want you to open up more. And that was such a struggle for me. I remember my wife and I used to work together. So when we worked together, she was uh, my secretary. So we would wake up together, get out of bed, and we'd see each other. Hey, boo, how you doing? Let's go to work. Then we'd be in the car together, and we would drive to work together. And then we'd be at work together. And I would be in one office, and she would be in another. Then we would drive home together. Then we would sit down, eat together, and then we would watch TV together. Then we would go to bed together. Then my wife would look over at me and she'd say, hey, babe, hey. Now in bed, I generally do only do a couple things in bed, conversations. I'm really not a great conversationalist. So I'm in bed and she's just like, hey, 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 hey. I'm like, what's up? She's like, I don't, I don't feel like we got any time today. <laughs> and in my head, I'm like, there's one thing I know. We definitely got time together. But what she was talking about was undisputed, no distractions, undisturbed time, where she doesn't just have, see, I, when we're watching TV, when we're at work, I'm doing work, I'm doing, and that's still a struggle for me because I think, hey, we're kicking it together. She's like, but you haven't opened up. It's, I feel like we're going through the motions together. And I had to learn that. And that's still a constant thing where my wife will say, open up. You're like a dove in the cleft of the rock. Some way you're hiding from me, and it's because I'm a proud man. And I don't like to be weak in front of anybody. And I don't like to be weak in front of my wife. I like looking strong. I like feeling strong. I like having the answers. And it is sometimes unnatural for me to shed who I really am. And so that's a practice that I have to do. And so my wife just, you know, she has taught me that over the years, learning how to communicate. And so that healthy intimacy and healthy transparency is a good thing. In this last part of the verse, I just really want to just land this plane and encourage your hearts with this. Look what she says. She wants, I want you to open up. I think you're amazing. But watch what she says in verse 15. Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. Does anybody remember from chapter one what the vineyard was? It's her body. And a fox has always been considered a sneaky animal. And it comes in at night. 
and it eats away at the blossoms. And what she's saying is, boy, you are just an awesome man, but I need you to do something. I need you to have self-control. I need you to catch those little foxes. When you get that impulse, I need you to have self-control. Rarely is it that the guy is the one with self-control. Normally, the woman has to, have, has to be a grand champion black belt to keep the brother off of her, and she is the one setting the physical standard. But the reality is, is that she's saying, I need you to be the disciplined one, and I need you to catch the foxes that will ruin my vineyard. In other words, I'm trying to preserve myself for that day, but I need you to help me. And the fact of the matter is that so many times, because a woman is so relational, she gets so passionate, she sees him as this gazelle, and he's a stag, and he's this amazing thing, and he begins to push the boundaries because, you know, he knows the game, and he begins to push the boundaries a little bit more, and she says, no, I don't want that, and he pushes the boundaries a little bit more. And then she has regrets. And then the next week comes. And she cries and she says, we're not going to do that again. I will not, I have standards. I will not, just stop. And she finds herself doing the same thing she said she wouldn't do last week. And the foxes are ruining the vineyard. She said, I had this imagery in my mind that I would preserve myself for marriage and I think we might get married. I mean, I think I love you and I really want to get to know you and I I think you're a good guy, but I need you to have some self-control because there's something in my heart that just keeps beating when I'm with you. And so can you catch those foxes? Because when they start coming in, I find myself falling head over heels for you. I need you to have self-control. And, and what's, what's amazing is that I find many women start out with that deep conviction, but the deeper their heart gets into a relationship, the lower, the, the more they lower the physical boundary. That's because their heart is so connected. What would it be if we raised up a generation of men that caught the foxes? What would it be if we raised up men that set the standard and it was no longer women setting the standard? What would it be if we could change the culture of manhood and masculinity and you really did protect women from physical boundaries? What would it look like? Because the culture goes wild in this area. You know, I, was, I hated to say this. I hated to say this. The, I was doing a talk at a college and um, it was this fraternity, and they, they were all cool and stuff. And I, and I asked them, I said, hey, do you want to be like your parents? It's like, my daddy wasn't around. You know, my daddy left my mama. But, you know, and, and, and I started talking some more about, you know, well, tell me about your relationship with women. He's like, you know, I do my thing with girls. I do my thing with girls. And I said, do you know this probably was the same philosophy your dad had? In other words, in other words you're not doing anything different. You're setting yourself up to possibly get a woman pregnant, but let's say that doesn't happen. What if you just break her heart? Does that have worth? Does that have value? Do broken hearts 
Do they matter? And the problem is, is that we're finding ourselves doing the same things that we saw a generation before, and we didn't want that. So we do it again in an insane way. But what we need are men. Men that set the standard. Men that place women in a season of preparation and not a season of infatuation. I was told years ago that sex was a good thing. Next week, we're going to preach on sex. I encourage you. It's a PG-13 kind of thing. I would encourage your kids to be here, but just guide them, talk with them. But we will have, you know, we will show respect, but we will talk through the issues of the text. But I was told years ago that sex is like a fire. Look here at this fire. Isn't that beautiful? That, that fire you put, uh, you don't see a lot of these in the city, but in the south, you, you know, you, you make this log fire and you warm your hands. And it's so beautiful. And in many old homes, the TV wasn't the centerpiece of the home, the fireplace was. And you would sit and you would read and it would warm the home. And then when it got cold out, you just keep stoking that fire. In fact, you wanted the fire to braze brighter. When, when the fire went down, you'd say, get some more logs on there. Come on, we need more fire. More fire. <laughs> Rich, okay, calm down. <laughs> but you know what's crazy is that when, when sex is happening in a protected place, everybody's championing your sex life. Everybody's like, oh, man, I got so much advice on my wedding night from people that I thought of differently. I was like, don't say those words. Shh, don't. I don't want to. Don't tell me that. Don't tell me that. They were, I mean, they were giving me all types of advice about my sex life. They were celebrating it because they knew it was in a protected space. You see, a fire in a fireplace, in a home, is a beautiful thing. Sex in a committed, covenant relationship before God and these witnesses, and when you go before them and say, I will never leave this person, I will not break this person's heart, I will have sex with them because I'm intimate with them, they have my last name, I pay for things that they have, yes, I will be intimate with them because I'm fully committed with them. But when... When fire gets out of that fireplace, you see, it can burn down an entire home. And that same beautiful fire is now destroying the home. If you don't quench it, it'll destroy the community. It'll spread. And the fire of sex has spread in our community. And it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart when I go and I talk to young men, and they have been, they have never sat down with a man to teach them how to be a man, but they've heard from music how to treat a woman. And they treat women inexpensively. And it's destroying the community, and it's spreading. What would it look like if we changed? the culture? What would it look like if you changed your heart and you said, God, I will be a man of standards and I will not live any old way?
And I believe that would change the culture and change the world and change Brooklyn. And so in this season of preparation, I pray men and women at the sound of my voice would make a commitment to Christ and in so doing make a commitment to purity. A commitment that would say that I want to be prepared rightly for my dating life. I want to be prepared rightly for my marriage life. I want to be prepared to have those kids there. I want a strong foundation. What kind of foundation will we build on? I pray you build on a foundation that honors God and honors His ways. And so as I say this, as I say this, there are things coursing through some of your minds. There are things that are wrestling with you, and we are in a spiritual battle as I talk. Oh, there's a very good chance as you walk out of here, he'll call again. There's a very good chance as, I, as you walk out of here, that same old guy will come back and distract you from the things that you knew you did not want to do. I'm not talking just in the temporal. I'm talking in the supernatural. We are in a battle. And you say, I'm not telling you just to commit, like, be pure. I'm saying, ask God for an endowment of the Holy Spirit to just fill you up, control your desires so that you do not have regrets and you have to be aggressive about it. I'm, I'm not saying that, I'm not saying, oh, I'm going to make a commitment. I'm saying if I don't see the kind of man that you would want me with, I will commit to being single until you say so. Until you say so. Until you say so. Until you say so. I will commit to you because singleness does not equate to loneliness in the will of God. It is, does not mean you are alone because he made the first promise to you. I won't leave you. Your father left you. He left you. I won't leave you. Told the girl one time, I was into it, boy. I was like, so you know, da da da. And she was like, well, Jesus don't keep me warm at night. That's all well and good, but he don't keep me warm at night. And I remember I said, well, you know, if being with someone is that important to you, then go ahead. And I'm not saying God can't work it out, but better to do what you clearly know what God is telling you to do than to compromise. Because if you compromise, and if you find a man that compromises, you'll compromise in marriage. <laughs> why not find, why not place yourself along someone that loves God? And if they're not deep, you just know they want God more. Run hard after God. And then while you're running, look around and see who's running hard with you. And if they're, if you guys are attracted to one another, then get together. But if you're having to drag somebody if you're having to run and then pretend like they're running, 
don't be surprised by the consequences. Seasons work with the law of the harvest. You will reap what you sow. In this season of preparation, sow forgiveness, sow purity, sow patience, and you will reap a harvest. If you sow in the flesh, you will reap a fleshly reward. So I pray you sow in the Spirit. Heavenly Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I just pray for those that at the sound of my voice are struggling. God, I pray that you would break the yoke of the flesh in our lives. God, I pray against the bondage that we've had for so long. God, I pray against all those feelings of loneliness that we thought is only can be met by a man or a woman. And I pray that you, God, your peace and your presence would just come and show up in our people and we would have a heart, a deeper heart to abide in you than to be with anyone else. I'd rather be in the house of the Lord than anywhere else, God. I want to be with you. I want to grow with you. I want you to have all of me, all of my heart and all of my soul and all of my mind and all of my strength. And if anyone distracts me from that, they're not worth it. So God, would you cultivate a deeper heart a deeper heart of love, a deeper heart for you, God. Even now, God, for the person that says, I can't change, change them. For the person that says, I can't give them up, let them walk closer to you. God, I pray that no one is just running away from someone. Just run to the Lord. Run to him. Run to him. Come to him. Let him change you. No matter how many times we have messed up in this area, no matter how many times we feel we have failed, you still say come. You still invite us. I pray we accept your invitation today in the name of Jesus.